Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, 97.5-1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. Big thanks to our title sponsor, Mountain America Credit Union. Get 0% interest on all purchases through May of 2020 with the new Mountain America credit card. For uh, details, visit macu.com or call 1-800-748-4302. Eager to talk to Chris Mannix, and uh, we haven't mentioned this yet, uh, David Stern passed away at uh, 77. We'll uh, we'll ask Chris his his thoughts and, of course, uh, his impact on the league. In fact, uh, let's waste no more time. Let's get to it. It's time for your NBA Daily Assist. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung tab for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix with us. Hi, Chris. What's going on, guys? Hey, uh, did you take a minute to enjoy the new year? Uh, not really. It just <laughs> um, comes and goes and, you know, it's... From now until, you know, July, or even now this year with the Olympic cycle, maybe early August, early to mid-August, it's just every holiday blends together, you know, I just, (laughs) you just get used to it and get kind of numb to it all. I want to ask you, Chris, about uh, what many people are thinking of right now with the passing of David Stern. Your thoughts? You know, I just keep going back to what an incredible legacy. Now, nobody's going to sit here and say, that David Stern was perfect as a commissioner. Um, when you preside over two lockouts that had work stoppages and you, you know, quasi own the entity that was Donald Sterling. I mean, Sterling was allowed to kind of stay at the fair too long and Stern has to own some of that. All that being said, I mean, I mean just remember what the NBA was in the early 1980s and the kind of predicament they were in. I mean, I just in writing about this yesterday, I, I just went back and was looking at a bunch of clips and old SIs and things that people were writing about the NBA back then. And not just the fact that, you know, the, the, the TV deals were terrible, you know, 1980, the finals, there was tape delay in game six, but you know, the league was on the brink of contraction, you know, right around the time when David Stern, uh, you know, uh, took over as commissioner, they were going to contract seven teams unless they found a way to get a collective bargaining agreement and a salary cap in place. And David Stern, as the executive vice president, was a driving force behind that. And under his stewardship, the NBA added seven teams during his time as commissioner. It's just, you know, there's one kind of remarkable accomplishment after another that, that, that really speak to the fact that I think he was arguably at least and maybe inarguably the greatest commissioner in all pro sports. Chris Mannix is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I've, I'm pretty amazed at how popular he was amongst everybody, including former players, because if you look around at other commissioners, you know, Roger Goodell obviously comes to mind, but, you know, guys like Bud Selig. I mean, it's not really a position that inspires popularity. No, especially when you have to be 
uh, a disciplinarian. And, you know, certainly he had plenty of run-ins with players. So today that we look at the dress code instituted in the was it, early 2000s as being a real source of conflict between the commissioner and a lot of players, uh, not just, you know, an Allen Iverson type, but I remember Tim Duncan was someone who wanted to wear jeans on the bench back then, but players very much were against that. But one thing I think that players respected was that Stern was always willing to hear them out. I was reminded of this when I had a conversation with Billy King the other day. Uh, Billy, of course, former general manager in Brooklyn and, and Philadelphia. And, you know, he was the GM in Philadelphia when Allen Iverson released that rap song, which, you know, had, you know, uh, the, the lesbian gay community up in arms, had women's groups up in arms because of the lyrics in that song. You know, Iverson really believed the commissioner was going to come down on him pretty hard. But Iverson went to New York. He met with Stern. He talked to Stern about what he was thinking and where he was coming from with those lyrics. And Stern allowed, you know, Stern didn't punish him any further than just kind of a, a verbal slap on the wrist. And I think that's sort of emblematic of the kind of commissioner that he was. He did bring the hammer down on you when you broke his rules, but he was, you know, more often than not willing to hear players out. Do you think his greatest legacy is the financial, the economic strength and growth of the league under his guidance, or was there something else? No, I, I think that's it. I mean, look, Adam Silver is a David Stern disciple in that way, and that he's all about, you know, the bottom line with the NBA. But, you know, David Stern turned the NBA into a money-printing machine. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways he did that, but I think the most significant is that he realized that NBA fans – don't root for teams as much as they do players. And that's what that's a stark difference between the NBA and 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 the other major sports, specifically football, which was king and still is king uh, in the sports world. I mean, football fans kind of root for the laundry, like they they root for the, the the teams and the helmets, and it's less about the players than the jerseys. And and you're a Cowboys fan more than you are, say, a Dak Prescott fan. But in the NBA, it's different. And Stern realized early on that it shouldn't just be the Knicks versus the Bulls. It should be you know. Patrick Ewing versus Michael Jordan and all those kinds of matchups, you know, in the, in the NBA. Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. That was certainly a signature of the NBA during Stern's time. He, he recognized that players needed to be promoted above teams. That, that was a big driving force for the NBA becoming this moneymaker that it is. Chris Mannix with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, talking a little bit of uh, jazz basketball with you now, Chris. Uh, kind of the theme around here uh, now that the Jazz are going through a little bit of a soft spot in their schedule was, you know, is this improved play for real or not? And then they go out and beat the Clippers. What are your thoughts on how the Jazz are playing right now? Well, any win over the Clippers is is huge, and that's got to be big for a team that's been been up and down over the last you know, month, more really the whole season, actually. I mean, not just last month or so. Yeah, I, the way I look at the Jazz is I still want to believe in them, you know, until you – know, I want to believe in them until we really see that, that Mike Conley can't work, until Mike Conley gets two months, three months in that lineup and, and gets the playoffs and, and gets an opportunity to play at that level. Everything else is kind of – you know, it's sort of micro, uh, micromanaging to a degree, looking at the little things they do, the three-point shooting, the bench stuff, you know, Rudy Gobert's defense, is he taking a little bit of a step back on, uh, as, a, as an all-star type player? Everything sort of hinges on Mike Conley's ability to, to be the Mike Conley of old. If he gets some momentum going into the playoffs, that, that's a team that's still going to be reckoned with, a team nobody's going to want to play in the first round or beyond. If, if it continues to be, you know, when Mike was playing early in the season, more of the same thing, the, the poor shooting, the inconsistency, the inability to fit in in that group, it, it just – they're just not going to be the threat they hope to be. So not not to put 
too much pressure on one player, but to me it really is going to be defined by his ability to be the guy we saw last year. And we've talked with you, Chris, in the past about Donovan Mitchell, watching his growth. He is he is transforming his game into all-star quality. I mean, I don't know if anybody could yeah. watch 10 games and watch what he's doing now and not think that. No, I, I agree with you, and, and he's been phenomenal. One thing I like about Donovan Mitchell is that you can almost see him learning in real time. You know, when I watched Jazz games last year, I mean, you guys saw the first – quarter of the season, you know, teams you know, realizing who he was and what he could do were just loading up on him and, and you know, putting, you know, two bodies in front of him and making him sort of frustrated in that first part of the season, but he kind of learned and he adapted and he's doing the same thing this year as he's trying to find his way with some new pieces on that team and sort of a new lineup without Derek Favors. He's kind of learning to pick his spots and being more facilitator at times. I mean, he really is an incredibly smart uh, basketball player that, that I don't think he gets enough credit for. I mean, he's an incredible athlete and talent and all those things, but the way he kind of thinks out there on the floor I think is really impressive. Chris Mannix with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, we've asked you a lot over the years about Dante Exum and uh, the Jazz pull-off trade, acquiring jo- uh, Jordan Clarkson, sending Dante Exum uh, out to Cleveland along with a couple of second-round picks, and he's only played a few games for the Jazz, but he's already making an impact. Your thoughts on that deal? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I think the Jazz needed to do something to punch up that bench. I think we talked a few weeks back about how Exum was really the only way to get better organically, and clearly that wasn't going to work on this team and in this year. So Jordan Clarkson, who is a flawed player. I mean, look, there's going to be nights where Jordan Clarkson puts up some just outrageous, and I mean that as a negative, shooting numbers. Then there's going to be nights that he puts up some great shooting numbers. You kind of live with the good and the bad uh, with Jordan Clarkson. But he's certainly has a higher ceiling this year as it's somebody that could help this team um, you know, as they get towards the playoffs and in the playoffs uh, with this group. Now, Exum, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad he's getting a different opportunity. It's kind of, I feel kind of the same way about Exum as I did about Markel Fultz when he got traded. You know, Fultz was never going to be the player that, that he set out to be in Philadelphia. There was just too much baggage, too high a draft pick, too much everything kind of going on. I started to feel the same way about Exum. Just injury after injury and the pressure of being that high draft pick and getting a new contract. Now he gets to go to Cleveland, and maybe he'll never live up to the potential he had as a rookie and in that first summer uh, before he uh, tore up that ACL, but at least going to get an opportunity in a very low-pressure environment where he can kind of grow organically uh, in that role. So I, I think it's a good. I thought it was a good deal for both teams. The Jazz get somebody that can help them off that bench and scoring-wise and and Exum gets a chance to kind of reboot his career. I'll tell you, Chris, I think you are hitting the nail on the head there with that comment because you know in all your years of covering the NBA that environment can really make a huge difference for individual players, their attitude, their the way they're used, the way they approach the game. And I think that's absolutely bang on with both of those players. I think both will thrive in their new setting. Yeah, and you're seeing it to a degree with Markel Fultz. I mean, he is... He's almost a rookie this year in that it's his kind of full season, first full season with a team when he's healthy. And he's having a solid rookie type of year. And I think he's only going to get better in that system. And Exum, you know, we already know, I haven't followed him that closely since he got to Cleveland, but when you hear John Beeline say he's going to play, you know, 30 minutes a night, that's going to be great for him and get an opportunity to to go out there and and be that guy. I I think a big part of it is that he's no longer going to be Dante Exum high lottery pick in uh, in Cleveland. Just Dante Exum, player they got for Jordan Clarkson. Right? And you'd be surprised how much pressure that takes off a guy. 
Chris, uh, we we saw Sports Illustrated put out uh, bold predictions, and a number of uh, of writers there at SI put out their bold prediction for the 2020s. Uh, talk about your bold prediction, and I gotta say, I really hope it doesn't. Happen. It's a doozy, man. <laughs> I, I do love the San Francisco area radio stations, where I see them on Twitter tweeting at me, and you know, <laughs> using this as content. The James Harden to the Warriors next year for D'Angelo Russell and the likely top five pick that the uh, that the Warriors have. I mean, look, it's it's supposed to be a bold prediction. It's supposed to be kind of out there a little bit, but. There's a part of me that can see it, you know, to some degree. I mean, the Rockets right now, I think, are fourth or fifth in the Western Conference. I don't think anybody looks at them and says that's a team that's a real championship contender. They're a cut below uh, the top-tier teams in the Western Conference. And if they get beat in that first round, there's not a lot of flexibility there to get better. And the Warriors, they could present somebody with a really unique, uh, you know, type of trade package. I mean, they've got D'Angelo Russell, who's 23, 24 years old, and, you know, having an all-star type season – and they might have the first overall pick in the draft. So if you're Daryl Morey, who's always been kind of a gunslinger as a trade guy, and you see this opportunity to get yourself an all-star point guard and maybe the first pick in the draft to kind of rebuild your team while getting off that hardened contract and selling while it's still high, don't you have to kind of think about it? And if you're, you're Golden State, yeah, you'd be a little smaller than you were with Kevin Durant, but, I mean, Steph, Clay, and James Harden, I mean, I don't know how you get much better offensively than that group. And Steve Kerr has always been the type of coach that can make anything work when you put them together. So, I don't know. I mean, look, it's, it's very out there, and certainly the, the Rockets' season could change everything. But I, I, it's not something I think is so outrageous that it could never happen. So now that you've let our whistle, a wise one, the Oracle, Chris Mannix, <laughs> what else can you see? I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you see anything else on the horizon that, that uh, you know could happen uh, in the NBA that might surprise some folks? I don't know if there's anything that would surprise people. I do think in the kind of short-term perspective, you're going to see, at the very least, a very talkative trade deadline. I mean, as you guys know, there's, there's probably six or seven teams right now that are looking in the mirror saying, we are a championship-level team. And if we can get an upgrade you know, at one position, we're going, to be, we're going to put ourselves in a position to win the whole thing. And you know, that's why the report that Darren, Darren Collison, considering a comeback, is so significant. I mean, Darren Collison was a really good player last year. When you look at the contract signed by Ricky Rubio and others, he was probably going to get you know, $10 million per year on the free agent market. If he winds up in, you know, with the Clippers or Lakers, that could tilt the scales one way or the other. Similar in, in Boston. I mean, the Celtics are playing great. If they can find their way to get a Marc Gasol type or a Clint Capella type or somebody else to – to shore up that front court, they can really compete with Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. So I expect a lot of activity around the trade deadline amongst teams that, that really believe that they're one player away from winning the whole thing. Uh, Chris, tonight the Jazz take on Chicago, and uh, the head coach of the Bulls, Jim Boylan, you'll remember, spent uh, several unspectacular years here in town coaching the University of Utah. How is, how is, he, how is he a head coach in the NBA? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, Last season was a disaster, you know, for Chicago. They, you know, almost had a mutiny early in Jim Boylan's tenure as the, the interim head coach, and the Bulls thought it was they saw enough that, you know, he they gave him that contract extension. Now I don't think he's being paid a lot in comparison to other head coaches. I think that's you know maybe part of the the thinking behind the Bulls there. But for some reason, you know, John Paxson, Gar Foreman, they believe that a disciplinarian is what's needed with that young team. And, you know, Boylan is, is nothing if not that, for sure. So 
So he's got some good pieces on that roster. Zach Levine, I think, is has kind of an all-star vibe to him, you know, down the line. But, you know, he's – I don't know. I mean, if you're making a, a power rankings of NBA coaches, I don't know – I don't know too many people that would, keep, you know, put Jim Boylan outside of that bottom third. If you had to pick a, a champion right now, who do you think is the best team in the NBA, Chris? Look, until Kawhi Leonard loses in the playoffs, I'm not betting against Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you just see this guy in – in a postseason where he can get two days off between games, I mean, I, I just don't – I don't know how you stop a team like that. I mean, they're so good defensively with, with Patrick Beverly and George and Leonard. They can lock anybody up on the perimeter. And, look, even if they lose out home court uh, against the, the Lakers, the Clippers go into the playoffs thinking, like, if we play, play L.A., it doesn't matter where it is. We're not going to have home court. I mean, Clippers games – if the Clippers had home court, it's going to be full of Laker fans. So what do they care about home court advantage in a conference finals, they're just they're just too good. And that's another team I think that's going to make an upgrade. Whether it's Andre Iguodala um, before the trade deadline, Darren Collison before the trade deadline, um, there's just a lot of ways they can make that one small upgrade. It's going to make them a real champion. Well, Chris, we know you're single-minded in your coverage of the NBA, but we hope somewhere along the way you can appreciate and take advantage of the new year, my friend. Yes, I will do my best. I'll celebrate it like August 15th uh, (laughs) with everybody else in the NBA. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Chris. You're the best. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. I'd like to break down on the Exum uh, Jordan Clarkson thing. It's really what that trade boils down to is that Jazz needed something right now. And right now, Clarkson's going to give you a lot more than Dante Exum is. I've talked to some people around the Jazz and inside the Jazz, and I think they are optimistic that this guy can be more than what he's been in the past in this particular setting. And think about it. Think about the way the Jazz have been capable of developing certain players. Not every player, but certain players. I think, how old is Jordan now? Uh, let me double check. He's only been in the league like three years. So, I just I mean, think I, I I understand he's he was with the Lakers for three years, wasn't he? Uh, and then he's twenty seven. It's not too late for that guy to to evolve into something more than what he's been in the past. And I know people look at him as a scorer, and he certainly has scoring capability. There is no doubt about that. But man, if he if this kid will listen to Quinn Snyder. I think he can he can have the you'll see the kind of improvement with him that we've seen with Joe Ingles. Well, I I mean we will see. We we'll see it it seems like under Quinn Snyder it's taken a certain mentality to really thrive under under coach Snyder and we've seen guys not have that and not thrive under coach Snyder like Trey Lyles really comes to mind. Well, I mean so yeah. it it you know if the buy-in is high which he was on the show on New Year's Eve, by the way, and uh, maybe we'll replay that next week because yeah. that wasn't uh, it, that was a great interview, but it wasn't a high listenership day. So maybe we'll get into that next next week. But it, it, he's saying all the right things. It would appear that the buy-in is really high, and if that's the case, I'm with you. And if I were his agent, I would be telling him, I'd be in his ear, over and over again. Listen to this coach. This coach can make you better. This coach can make you a lot of money. <laughs> you know, you can. You have a bright future beyond what you've done in the past if you can find a way to help this team win and do the things necessary to become a complete team player. And sometimes being a complete team player means that 
man, you take that rock and you get to the rack and you shoot the threes and you do, do some of the things that we've seen him do over stretches with the Jazz already. But uh, I, I think that's going to be a win-win for the player and for his new team. All right, uh, coming up next, we'll get back to our college football discussion. We'll talk a little bit about the Utes. We can mix in some uh, some Cougs as well. We have Not Sportsport coming up at uh, 4.50, and then Jazz Game Night pregame starts at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. I think people really have missed the Not Sports Report. Have they? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we're going to try and scratch that itch. Scratch Real deep. something. Yeah. You know, because you want to scratch. When you're scratching, when you've got the itch, you want to scratch just to the right level. If you dig too deep, then, you know, now th- that hurts. You're right. The not sports port is like a bad rash. No. <laughs> it just won't go away. You can't get any relief. Flares up at the yeah. wrong time. You get the right kind of cream, you can, you can solve it. Stay and tuned. That, and I'm nothing if I'm not the right kind of cream. More next, 97.5 oh. and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. The Michael Smith, jazz analyst on AT&T Sportsnet. You think with the Joe Ingles turnaround, I'm of the opinion that it's a little bit about Joe, but it's a lot about who he's out on the court with. Do you buy into that? He's a little bit like a Draymond Green, right? You put Draymond Green out there with Clay and Steph and KD, and you're like, oh, crap. And Joe's like that. So, yes, it is every bit in my mind a result of who he was surrounded by. If Joe Ingles is your fourth best player on the floor, you got a really good unit on the floor. You surround Joe with great players, his skills shine and the opposite also true you surround him with guys who aren't able and all of a sudden it's like whoa he gets a little exposed catch dj and pk mornings from six till ten presented by wcf insurance reminding you to be careful out there on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network i am the eye in the sky looking at you Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Want to remind you about our friends at Cypress Credit Union. With the lowest fees and quickest keys, Cypress has the home loan product that is perfect for you. Visit any Cypress branch or cypresscu.com for details. Gordon, uh, we were talking a little Ute football earlier today. And I thought we uh, were kind of putting a wrap on the season, the final evaluation. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the column that you wrote for the trip. You know, was this a... Good team uh, that uh, wasn't quite as good as we thought they were, or was this an elite team that blew it at the end? I, uh, I think it was more the former than the latter. You think it was a good team that mm-hmm. we over evaluated, but, but there's a part of me that still clings to what we saw at times during the season, where it was just nothing short of impressive, and I don't know how just a good team does that. Because they were playing against really bad well, teams. Yeah, that's true. But they're still, you know, it's still a P5 conference. It's still Division One athletes they're going up against. And the youths at times just were uh, unstoppable. I mean, they were thumping teams. And you said Arizona State was a, a decent team earlier with the youths. It didn't treat them like a decent team. No, they beat him up. I mean, that was a really impressive win yeah. in hindsight. So how do you do that and then do this? I, you, you think it's mental. 
Well, the, the Oregon game wasn't mental. No. The Oregon game was something else. Oregon how much was a lot better. Of, okay, so how much of this do you blame on the talent level, and do you do you point the finger at the coaching at all? Because I thought that was interesting after the bowl game that Kyle Whittingham said he got outcoached. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, the team didn't look prepared. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's Coach Witt's job is to get the team prepared, and they didn't look prepared. So I, I can see what he's getting at there. But I think that the weaknesses on this team, as few as they were, uh, dragged down the rest of it a little bit. If that, Are you pointing the finger at the offensive line in particular? Um, I, I think that was part of it. I don't think Tyler Huntley was as good as he looked at times. Because when he was pressured, he really struggled, and so. But that's true for a whole lot of good quarterbacks, right? But there was Utah started a Heisman campaign for Tyler Huntley, so I don't, I don't think he was Heisman campaign good. I don't think he ended up being that. They didn't I, think that till November either. I just don't know. I don't know what a quarterback is supposed to do when when he's not getting protection up front, right? I I agree with you. I don't care how good you are. You could have Tom Brady back there, and he'd be in trouble. Right, right. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. So, so I. I mean, I. I don't think the and Brant Keithy turned out to be great, but did did a receiver really dominate this year? I mean, no, were that they was really great. For those who watch that game on television, it's hard to see if the receivers are open or not because of the way the cameras pointed. Well, they need to get open. Well, yeah, but, but were they? Either way, they need to get it. Well, if they're open, then then that's the quarterback's fault. And now, did you see this tweet uh, that that came out from Solomon Enos where he said thank you basically to Utah? He said thank you Utah. Kind of a one of those tweets where you're like, well, there's some finality there. Keep an eye on the transfer portal because mm-hmm. I thought that was a little bit odd. Yeah, I I I think I think both the answer to both questions is yes. But I still think Utah had some fine talent on that team. I do, I really too. Do. But they just weren't elite. They weren't one of the best four teams in the country, which yeah. a lot of people thought. Okay. They're, especially in November, that they were one of the best four teams in the country, and that turned out not to be true. That, that I absolutely agree with. Yeah. Still going to end up being a top 15 team, I would assume, although they might fall a little bit after that, uh, that Texas loss. I mean, they were, they were a good team. That was it. I don't think this was the best team in Utah history, and I was slow to come around uh, come around to that uh, all year long, and I don't think I don't think it was. But we kept hearing and, uh, and and watching these great defensive players making great defensive plays, and then Witt would come along and say, you "Got eight to ten NFL players over there," and was that not true? No, I, I think it is true. They're good. It's well, that's, that's more than good, isn't it? It's not one of the best four teams in the country. It's good, but it's not one of the best four. Oh, good is kind of a broad, vague kind of classification. So are all of these. They're all subjective. What what would be better in your mind? Well, I don't know. Is it a top 15 team? Yeah, I think so. Top 10? No, they're not going to be in the top 10. Certainly I think you me. could have made that argument had they beat Texas, but and again, I'm, I'm trying not to let that bowl game really sway my overall opinion. But yeah, I, well, what I think, is so painful about that is what you brought up earlier, Jake. That the 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 pinnacle of Utah football 
was its win over Alabama in the Sugar Bowl when the Utes were keyed up big time for that game and Bama wasn't. Yep. And when you talk about that in the past, Utah fans would not accept they that. They really bristled. Yeah. And so now the shoe's on the other foot. It's it's true. It's a thing. There's way too much evidence out there for it not to be a thing. Teams that don't want to be in the bowl games, they they struggle from time to time. That that 100% happens. And it happened to the Utes in, in this game. And I truly think— kind of happened to them last year, too, wasn't it, Northwest? Great point. Great point. And I truly think they just didn't recover from that Oregon game. They just didn't. I mean, that all the air came out of the balloon, and it's not like they were even competitive. And so now all of a sudden the confidence couldn't be lower, and a really confident team— wasn't so much going in against Texas. They were missing some key players. Okay, so let's play the role of Dr. Freud here. What happened? What When you say that they were broken, what what does that mean they weren't paying attention in meetings? Does, or was it a matter of pure confidence or lack thereof? Uh, did they were they did they not care? I think it's all of the above, yeah. Mm-hmm. You think they were distracted by schoolwork? Uh, no. Uh, probably not. Well, I mean, the semester is over at the beginning of December, right? So oh. All we right. don't have schoolwork to do. Uh, is school over at the beginning of December? I think so. Aren't finals usually the first or second week of December? Isn't for a football player school over at like August 11th? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Oh, man. No, I, I think it's it's the all of the above. Absolutely. But how can a team do that? I mean, it's what you are. It's how they identify themselves. I'm a football player. If I'm a football player, I'm not going to go out there and let Texas run right over me. Yeah, but they're humans, Gordon. They're human beings. How could you not have an emotional letdown thinking in the players themselves, you know, thought like, oh, playoff, here we come. And then to go from that to the Alamo Bowl after just getting absolutely crushed <laughs> by a team that you were favored but to wouldn't beat? You wanna, wouldn't you want to work that uh, that ugly feeling right out of your system? I don't think it's that simple. Okay, so if it was that, then how do you fix that? How Whose fault is that? You turn the page and you go to the next year. New new year, I mean, new but, team. This, but this is a team that Kyle Whittingham had been pointing, looking at for uh, the past two or three years, yeah. building to this crescendo. And the crescendo turned into a a dip. Yep, which is really deflating. Yeah, you're you're right. Three. But couldn't they couldn't they have bounced back? I understand that the Alamo Bowl had nowhere near the significance of the Pac-12 championship game. I get that, but can't you rally the troops and say, "Hey, fellas, we just lost for the second time this year. You do not want to end the season on consecutive losses." See, that's... especially not the way it happened, where they got absolutely destroyed. I mean. Utah football prides itself on a physicality factor. Yeah. And they got slapped around both occasions to the point of being, I'm sure you fans were embarrassed. And the players were probably humiliated. Okay, I I think you just answered your own question, actually. I really do. In, In a couple of different ways. Here's the thing. Three, if not four years of development culminated in an absolute crushing defeat against the Oregon Ducks. 
like like four years of work and vision. And Witt told us that he saw this coming. I mean, it all culminated in one night in Santa Clara where the Utes got pummeled. I mean, talk about an anticlimactic thing. And then you go into a bowl game, and your best argument to get you motivated is, hey, guys, go out there and don't lose two in a row. You wonder why there's a letdown. Wait a you second. You wonder why there's no, a letdown. Hey, guys, no, Rowley, come in here. Come in here. All right. Here, here's, a, here's my inspirational speech. Do not lose two in a row. Yeah, but team on three. Anybody, uh, come on. Anybody, come on. Anybody who's ever played the high level of competitive sports knows how sucky losing feels. Yeah, but you, so you want to get rid of that feeling by finishing on a high note, don't you? And that's what you're using to mo- listen. They have to just pour themselves into preparation for these games. You've seen it, Gordon. I mean, you have to. It's it's really they push the limits with how they prepare because it's football and it takes a lot of preparation and it 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 takes motivation to do that. Right, right. And then I, when you take the carrot away and your carrot is now don't lose two in a row. It's pretty tough to get yourself out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning to get that extra workout in. Well, I'm confused here because, one, I'm confused why the Utes didn't show up stronger against the Ducks. If if that had been sort of the pinnacle that they had been climbing toward and then they jumped off the cliff short of the peak, and then you think, okay, well, they, they were broken by that loss, but Texas was nowhere near as good as Oregon. Plus, Oregon exposed some stuff on film, too. Did they really? Didn't yeah. USC expose some things, too? No, because USC's win was not as thorough and dominant. USC got lucky hitting uh, jump ball passes for big plays. The, the the USC loss and the Oregon loss were not all that similar, in my opinion. The Oregon, the, the Ducks hammered the Utes. I mean, absolutely hammered them. USC fluked out a win by throwing it deep a bunch of times. Okay, so was Texas a better team than Utah? I don't think so, no. Well, then you shouldn't be losing to them. I don't care but what But it's not that simple. I know, I know, I know you love to simple. boil it down into, well, you should win. Go out there and... You should, should try. You know, you, you should, should win. do all this. So it's just not that simple. You lost to a seven and five Texas team. They lost to Oregon twice. I'm telling you. All right, you say so. Oh, good. You come around and admit well, it. I I'm don't right. that's, know. That's terrific. I can't read mine. Let's I... let's get to the not sports port coming up next. <laughs> Stay tuned. Let's make everyone happy. Ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. We're talking about Clarkson being the spark that has now answered some of these problems. Sparkson. Jordan Sparkson. Exactly. Came up with a great nickname. I did, on accident. People aren't loving your nickname so First far. First of all, Tony. I did not give him that nickname. You did. No, nah, you said it, and I just formulated it for you. Sparkson. Yeah. I said it. You came up with it. No! Like, you, you created no, you it, did. and I presented it. We're in this together. <laughs> I, You're stocked, and I'm alone. No. You pass, I score. No. That's how no. it goes. No, somebody deflected it, you caught it, and laid it in, and now you want to give me an assist. You don't want an assist? Not on this one. It's a good nickname that you came up with. No! Tony Parks and Austin Horton, weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. We've got everything going on. 
Wrapping up a big show, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Wrapping it up in style with the Not Sports Report. Brought to you by LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Gordo, where are we going today? Well, we're going all over the place because i got three different things i got to get to quick. The first one is, did you see the story about Lori Laughlin hiring a, a, a jail coach to prepare her so that she could speak the lingo in jail and whatnot? What do you make of that? I didn't know there was such an occupation, but I suppose I suppose if you, you can afford it, you might as well prepare, I guess. You got to know what to say, what not to say. Hey, what? you jerk. That wouldn't fly in jail, would it? I suppose not. And then there's this story from, have you heard of this Brazilian soccer player, Hulk? No. Well, there is one. The Hulk? It just Hulk. That's his name. And he broke up with his wife of 12 years uh, over the summer, has three children with him. And uh, now it turns out that he is dating his ex-wife's niece. Oh, that's not right. That's not. Come on. That's got to be written in the guy book somewhere. That's, that's against guy code. Or the right? law book. <laughs> No it's, code needed. And not just the in-law book. You say it's in a law book? Yeah, the penal code. That's not Woody Allen awful, but that's pretty awful. <laughs> it's once removed? It's it's not quite the Woody Allen, but that's not far off either. So he divorced his wife, and now he's dating the niece. That's just, that's bad form, nope, man. Nope, that's, that's not right. That is not, that is not okay. And then finally, did you see this story? About a man, a gambler, at uh, Caesars Windsor up in Ontario, Canada, who had a bunch of money, went into the casino, lost about $250,000, was so upset that he hurled himself in front of a bus, uh, was injured, but collected a big insurance payout for like 350000 And what did he do with that? He went back to the casino and lost it all again. Same casino? Yes. And now he's suing said casino trying to get his money back. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh... isn't that what a casino does? It, it offers an opportunity for people to lose money? <laughs> Yeah, what what what's his argument that they were that they were preying on him in some Somehow, way? Somehow, yeah. But that I mean, imagine that. Isn't that kind of like suing Seven Eleven for selling jars of pickles? I don't think they sell jars of pickles, do they? I think they do. Well, don't they? At Seven Eleven? Yeah, I've never bought a jar of pickles from Seven Eleven. I'm my first choice I heard, for a pickle no, player. You don't go I, into Seven Eleven, do you? I heard a story about a man who is something of a deviant. He went in, he had a bag of potato chips and a jar of pickles, and he put them on the counter. And then when the woman behind the counter turned around to do something, he exposed himself. And so when she turned around, she saw what was on the on the table there. So she picked up the jar of pickles and smashed, smashed him. <laughs> this just uh, got interesting. Oh, that's, that's so the show's over uh, forever. <laughs> yeah. So well, I was just saying, unfortunately for him, she didn't pick up the bag of chips. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so, so what, what is, happened to you after the jar broke? 
every day is daffodils oh, and uh, sweet don't pickles. Don't you do that to me. You know I would never do that. No. You regretted that. Sorry, didn't you? that was that was yeah. a too far. Yes. Yeah, I regret that. Yes. I, I shouldn't have. I anyway, shouldn't have said that. That's what a casino does. It opens. Were they spears or a chips? I don't know. I don't, or I don't the know. or the baby deals. Oh yeah, kosher or no? <laughs> you know, Seven Eleven, famous for Slurpees and pickles. Yeah. <laughs> What? 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 what uh, you can get pickles, I think. At 7-Eleven? Maybe in 1946. <laughs> We're going to a movie what, with a pickle. A can of oil? You're the what, guy that goes what, to the movie and gets the, the salted pickle, aren't you? What do you, what do you get? What do you get at 7-Eleven? Slurpees. And candy. Candy. And what else? Donuts. Drinks. Drinks. Hot dogs. Sure. <laughs> Not produce. Yeah, I don't know about pickles. Pickles. Yeah. yeah. I'll take a T-bone and a pickle, please. I think you can get pickles at a 7-Eleven. Go the right one. Oh, maybe on Rodeo Drive. Go to the right one? <laughs> oh, we're in pickle country. Our 7-Elevens have jars of pickles. I think this show's in a pickle. It's been... You know what? A, a great beginning to the show today. Not so terrific end. <laughs> Jazz game One of out. our worst. Yeah. Oh, I apologize. Not, not man, really. I mean, I, I, that's the way the story goes. Maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, it's not true. Worst show of the year, in fact. <laughs> what? We're just. You know what the final ninety seconds of this show needs? An explosion story. <laughs> you know what this this exposure. Uh, this uh, the show has kind of been a microcosm, like just like the Ute season, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it, bad it, at the end. <laughs> Started off, off you, you weren't sure what it was going to be, but it had great hopes. Yeah, in the middle, it's like, man, we are really doing yeah. swell. Mannix was great, <laughs> and then the not sports report, and then the end where you're like, I gave folks three, four for one, talking about pickle jars in Seven <laughs> Eleven. See you at Spring Ball. You get a Slurpee. Jazz that, game night bad. pregame show starts next. Tim Lacombe and I, I will get you ready for the I'm jazz. Sorry. jazz I'm so sorry. You didn't have to tell that. Yeah, probably you know, not. The last one took it a little too far. 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. I knew that was about the end of it. So long, farewell, I'll be your same good night. I hate goodbyes. This thing!